Hello, and welcome to the Fast Leader Podcast. HFL is producing the podcast to help the ongoing learning of our alumni of Fast Lead Small Group Coaching and Leadership Development Program. We are also making this series available to anyone else new to people leadership or who are just interested in refreshing their existing skills. At HFL, we're about helping frontline leaders lead better and be the best leaders they can be because every employee should have an inspiring leader. My name is Darren Fox, and I'm your Fast Leader MC, and this episode of the Fast Leader podcast is about some of the most common worries that first-time managers have. We'll also share some advice for new managers from the experience in the room today and how these learnings are probably more important now than ever before considering the global transition we're in the midst of. Even if you've not been a front leader for a while, we think our top tips will be very useful to you as much as those listeners who just got promoted today. To discuss these topics and help us answer these questions, I'm joined today by two colleagues. Kirsty Allen has been a product manager, coach, creator of the Fastlead program from the very beginning. Welcome, Kirsty. Hi, Darren. And Alistair Gordon, who is principal consultant at Fastlead and also one of the creators of the program. Welcome, Alistair. Hi, Darren. Thanks for the invite. So one thing I should also uh, let our listeners know that we're not actually not in a room. Social distancing, we are in four separate locations. So hence the sound might be a, a bit like listening to the journalists on the news in the morning who are all being interviewed from their homes at the moment. So let's kick things off. You've both been coaching a new frontline leaders for many years now. How long does this transition last in terms of becoming a new manager to becoming competent in that role? And why does it become so difficult? Kirsty, how about we start off with you? All right, thanks, Dan. I think it's different for different people, depending on one, their attitude and taking on such a position and the sort of stress they might put themselves under but also the team that they inherit. Some new leaders get smaller teams, larger teams, people they are used to working with and have similar communication styles. And obviously, depending on what's going on in the organization. So I think it's hard for a time frame in terms of when new leaders have transitioned. And I think leadership as a development journey just doesn't end. There's always new things to learn, new situations, new people that you're interacting with. So it's a constant learning journey, I would say. And moving from peer group to manager is going to happen every time you get promoted from one senior level manager to another senior level. You are leaving a peer group and then becoming their manager potentially if you get promoted into the same team. Yet this first move always seems a bit more awkward than the other ones in my experience. What do you think that might be? Yeah, definitely. I think um, the new leaders have a obviously less experience being the first time they have made that transition. And not being used to perhaps having those tough conversations about performance and setting expectations with people who probably used to be their friends, lack of experience and um, wanting to be a good leader and perhaps thinking that that means you've always got to be nice and not knowing how to have some of the other conversations. Alistair, what's your, what's your view? Why does it take as long as it does and why is it so hard? Yeah, I think I agree with Kirsty that it's very difficult to generalize. I think it takes a long time because people don't realize actually how big a transition it really is going to be. If you imagine watching your parents drive a car for a long period of time, and it just seems such a simple thing to do. They can they can drive and they can listen to the radio and they can tell you off for doing something you shouldn't be doing as a child in the back. But then the first driving lesson, you suddenly realize it's massively more complicated than, than it seemed. And I think that's true for a first leadership position. I mean, I know middle managers who still haven't transitioned, actually. They haven't delegated. They're still doing part of their job that they were doing before. And I think that's that's one of the reasons that makes it hard now. You don't get promoted typically as a frontline leader and not 
have any of your previous job to do. Usually you've got 70 or 80% of your previous job to do, and now you have to find time to lead the team at the same time. And uh, I think that's really difficult. It's basically a, a job and a half. So I think people struggle to understand that it really is a big transition. I think it's harder these days because you're a producer and a manager. Yeah, I think those are the things that make it different. And I certainly think back when I had my first uh, manager role, there's a difference between the theory and the practice. Yes. As an HR, L&D person, I thought I knew the theory. I had the theory down packed, actually, because I built all sorts of L&D training courses for managers. But the reality is quite different from the theory in terms of actually putting that into practice. And so I think it's really important for new managers to sort of give themselves a break Yes. in terms of not feeling mm. you have to be perfect all the time, but also think carefully in terms of how you're learning from those experiences that you're having on a daily basis so that you can accelerate your performance in that role, even with getting the, the leadership training, whether that's occurred prior to you starting the role. Yeah. Well, of course, in most cases, people don't get any leadership training before they get promoted. Mm. There was an American study in 2018 from a company called DDI, Global Leadership Company, where only 11% of the people who got promoted had had any form of leadership training before they got promoted to their first leadership position. Okay. So mm. corporately, we're not doing a very good job preparing people. And I agree, there's reading the book and actually having a conversation with someone who's in tears or is in angry with you or hasn't turned up or you know is challenging your leadership. All of those things, I think, are um, simple to read about in a book, but much more difficult to deal with when, when it's face-to-face. And also as a practitioner of HR and L&D in the past, I do know that quite often, if we think you're a potential leader, you're not a manager now, we will do the right thing and put you on training to get you ready. But the reality is, is then a manager may not actually have the opportunity to sort of practice what they're learning. And then they don't get a role six months afterwards. And it's quite hard then to reflect back on what I learned, pull out the information out of the binder. So again, for a new people leader, it's very important. What am I going to do now? now that I'm in the role, to ensure that I'm actually learning to be the best manager that I can be, because quite often the training is never going to be perfectly timed for you. Before we move on, do you have any sort of last thoughts on that topic, Kirsty? Yeah. As a new leader, putting the theory to practice is a key part of it. And so getting that support internally and having those conversations, I think is important just because yeah, going back to Alistair's analogy with the car, it does take practice to get something to become more of a habit. So I agree with Kirsty about the practice piece. And, you know, when you do your driving sims, there's usually no other traffic around and, you know, there's not a bus trying to whack you into a barrier somewhere or something like that. (laughs) Very quickly, I think the reason that we get very positive feedback from the Fastly program, and most people listening to this podcast will be Fastly alumni, is that it is very practical. It's one topic at a time. And leaders like dealing with one topic and going back and and having a discussion about what's going on in that topic in their team. It's very practical rather than getting lots of theory all at once and then not quite sure which bits are going to be useful. All right. Thanks, Alistair and Christy. I could summarize that entire part of the conversation in three words, which is practice, practice, practice. Uh, That's the end of part one. In part two, coming straight up, is what are the three most common concerns that newly minted frontline leaders have and what they should do about them? FastLead is an innovative, high-impact leadership development program for small groups. 
You pick the topics and learn in short, punchy and practical sessions that give you plenty of time to try your new skills in real life. 94% of alumni report that FastLead improved their leadership skills and confidence. Learn more at fastlead.com. Welcome back. Okay, let's go to the most common concerns then. And I think we talked before we got started today about the concerns fitting into three main categories. The first one being category one, being thrown into the deep end. Category two, leading performance discussions for the first time. And category three, being thinking they need to be perfect from day one. Kirsty, would you like to take on category one? Yeah, so I think being thrown into the deep end goes back to the fact that, you know, it was 11% um, tend to get some sort of leadership development before going into the role. So a lot of them are just going in there blind and they haven't had that that support. So, you know, if you think about, you know, a sales rep getting promoted to a sales manager, for example, they've been recognized for having, you know, worked on and closed deals and hitting their numbers. And so that tends to be what they like to prioritize, but now they've got a team, they've got to fit time in to support them in hitting their numbers as well. But they haven't been able to reduce their portfolio to allow that time. And they haven't often had that development to, I guess, step away from more short-term tactical responsibilities to think about longer-term territory planning and capability building. And I think uh, moving from that sort of salesperson into sales manager might be one of the more difficult transitions to, to mm. make because you're, you're in doing sales, you're driving revenue day after day after day, you're in meetings all the time with new clients, potential clients and whatnot, and then you're moving into a manager and you're, and you're away from that sort of day-to-day reactivity quite often. And I think a, a lot of sales managers sort of miss that energy that they get from that. And it is, I find, in my experience at least, one of the more difficult transitions to make among the different professions yeah. from a frontline contributor to manager. Absolutely. Good point. And I think the other, one of the other reasons it's thrown in at the deep end is quite often people have been working for managers who don't model very good behavior from a leadership perspective. You know, they they expect the manager to be there for them, you know, when they do get promoted. But they're, a lot of the techniques that we might think are a really good idea, um, you know, coaching, listening, developing people, understanding their motivations, all these things that, you know, many of the people on the program listening to the podcast will have will have done those behaviors haven't necessarily been modeled very well by their you know previous leaders so they haven't really had an example to follow well that's of course assuming that uh, their manager um, has not uh, undertaken the fast lead program of course as we know most of them haven't so (laughs) alistair managing the performance of of others can be confronting at first how best might a, a new manager start dealing with this when they're brand new especially if they've moved from these people used to be my peers and now I'm managing the performance. Yeah, it's a, I mean, it's a terrific question, isn't it? I think most of us, you know, if we just go back to the driving analogy, I remember as a, you know, 16-year-old advising my father on how he should drive on a regular basis, which, of course, he really appreciated not. You know, so, for example, Darren is not performing very well, so, we, sh- you know, the manager should be sorting out Darren and should be telling, you know, Darren he's got to perform better. And, all of these things are very easy to say when you're an individual contributor or, you know, you're having a coffee with a colleague or you're down the pub or whatever the case may be. As soon as you're in the leadership position, suddenly there's a lot more at stake and these conversations are automatically formal, they're more difficult. Uh, again, I go back to if they've been working in a team where performance hasn't been managed well, 
then they really will struggle because it looks like suddenly they're imposing higher standards you know, than the previous leader. And, and people who've been getting away with average performance is, are suddenly under pressure. So I think managing performance, it, there's a system to it. There's a process to it. There are particular types of conversations and tactics you need in those conversations. None of it's rocket science, but if you haven't been exposed to what that good system looks like, it's a huge challenge for most frontline leaders. And, um, uh, you know, what, what am I going to do? Am I going to do some planning? Am I going to work out a roster? Or am I going to have that really difficult conversation with Darren? You know, the, the conversation with Darren gets put to the end of the line, generally speaking. And yet, it's the one that should happen first. Mm. Uh, Christy, I imagine that uh, with the, the amount of coaching that you've done with frontline leaders in, in the fast lead program, in particular, that this issue probably does come up uh, a fair bit in terms of frontline managers. How do they manage performance? How do they hold their employees accountable? What sort of uh, advice do you give? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think it's quite common. We can all be guilty of sort of wondering why someone's not doing something the way we would do it. <laughs> so I think there's sort of two or three main things. Um, one is transparency, so being really clear about what's expected, what good looks like, what great look like, good looks like, and what underperforming looks like. And I think part of being transparent is really being honest if someone's not performing and remembering the intention for having that difficult conversation that you want to help them be the best they can in that role. It's not to criticize them or demotivate them, but you you believe they can do better. Um, another key, I think, is being curious and not assuming that someone is just being lazy or they should know how to do something, but really understanding, you know, what's going on, what's contributing to the current performance and how can you as their leader support them as opposed to coming with your own assumptions. So the other key is having regular check-ins. So I coached a store manager um, in retail who would have morning huddles every day with the team in terms of what the store should look like, how they should be greeting customers, but would fall short in having the one-on-one check-ins. And so the team or the individuals in the team didn't feel like they were getting that individual recognition of what they're doing well, but also that feedback on where they could do better, which helps in terms of their growth. So, um, yeah, staying in touch with the team and providing that feedback. Alistair, I think you wanted to uh, say something to add on to that? Oh, I, ju- I just wanted to make the point, listening to Kirsty there, that you know we need to remember that many people who aren't performing up to standard don't know they're not. And um, it might be obvious to everybody else on the team, but it's not obvious to that person. So the ability to diplomatically tell it as it is um, and help that person grow, as Kirsty's suggesting, I think is, you know, is very important. And Kirsty's also referenced one of the other critical components of um, managing performance, which is feedback and making sure there's a balance between not just being negative all the time and critical, but also pointing out things that people do well. I mean, most people are trying to be really good at their job. You know, they're they're heavily invested in doing that and they might not have been given, you know, the right support in the past or the right training or development or the right motivation, indeed. Another thing that Kirsty said that I wanted to sort of add to, which is this idea of transparency and getting the objectives right. So when it comes to performance management and uh, performance discussions, you know, a lot of experienced managers may say, well, it's not about the rating. It's about the conversation and it's about the discussions that we have. But that takes a lot of, of experience in order to know how to have those discussions, how to coach people, how to choose the right approach for the right situation. And so quite often for new managers, it's really important to actually stick to that process that the, an organization have. In particular, get really clear in terms of what the objectives are what the metrics are, 
because then it becomes uh, a lot less sort of negotiable when you're talking to an ex-peer saying, well, you haven't delivered or you actually exceeded because clearly the measures uh, are telling that that's the case. And over time, you start learning to spend less time talking about the actual numbers and more about the behaviors and the performance and the coaching conversation. Okay, so the third and final category is that new managers often worry they need to be perfect from day one and know everything. Alistair, what has been your experience in coaching managers through that concern? I think this is one of the biggest myths and that we we try desperately when we're coaching to help people relax about because young managers or early early stage managers, I think, confuse themselves in this area. Perfect example is, Darren, you've just appointed me to be the leader of the team. And you've said to me, I want a new plan on, you know, how the team can go from 100 widgets to, to 150 widgets. And can you come back to me next Friday with that plan? And the natural thing for a, lead, a new leader to do is to spend, you know, the weekend, maybe part of the weekend on their own coming up with a plan because they're a leader now and they should have all the answers and they should have be able to do this. But counterintuitively, the best leadership thing to do is to sit down with the team and say, hey, if we were going to go from 100 widgets to 150 widgets, how would we do it? It's not typically what um, what people do. They tend to feel that now they're appointed leaders, they really need to have all the answers. And that's just not true. And given what's going on at the moment, it's particularly not true, given that we're in, you know, recording this in, in um, late March 2020. And um, we're in lockdown. And I don't think anybody in the country has all of the answers. Now, nobody has any of the answers at all. Kirsty, what's your take? Yeah, I think I think this isn't um, specific to frontline leaders. I think leaders all the way up to C-suite get a sense of imposter syndrome, like they're in this role, but they're not sure if they're the best person for the job. So as Alistair said, not putting that sort of unnecessary stress on themselves, but being able to empower their team by involving them in discussions and coaching and consulting rather than thinking they need to come up with all the answers um, really helps to create a engaged, high-performing team that are invested in the outcome because they've been part of it. I agree heavily with that. The best senior C-suite leaders that I work with and coach, and I've seen in action with their executive teams, say hardly anything. They just, at crucial moments, ask brilliant questions that allow their team to think about things differently or to come up with a different solution and what have you. They they influence actually without using their authority because their they, their technique and the way that they do so is good. And and the poorest people at the top, you know, are imposing solutions all the time downwards and um that eventually means that they lose their best talent i think they they leave they leave because they want to they want to be able to use their initiative but they're not allowed to i think that's a really good point about i mean what top leaders uh, because it reminds me that uh, you know the really good leaders that i've met quite often say or feel that they're not very good leaders at all because they always feel like there's always so much more to learn that they've ever you can't actually learn everything that is about leadership and so it's important for a frontline new first manager to understand is, is that you know you've got a career's worth of learning now in front of you in terms of now that you're in this management role and to be cognizant of that but also then to put well how do i make sure i am going to learn you know rather than wait for a training what can i put on a daily basis or a weekly basis to take the time to reflect to learn to find a mentor to find a coach so that i can actually learn to be the best uh, leader that i can possibly be yeah, and if, if uh, we probably don't have time, but um, Darren, my number one tip for people would be to use procedure that we use in facilitation. Quite often, we have a group of leaders, and 
one of the group that we might be training asks a question that generally they ask the question to the facilitator, you know, what, what would you do in this situation? And, you know, generally speaking, I have absolutely no clue what I would do or what the right answer is. So, of course, what we do is we say, what a great question. What does everybody else think? And we get lots of opinions from the rest of the group. And as those opinions come out, you know, my own opinion begins to coalesce. And I go, oh, actually, what Freddie over there is saying, I think is roughly right. And what Billy over there is saying is roughly wrong. And so, you know, just by asking the question and putting it back on the group, it really helps you figure out what your answer might be. And it stops you looking like a goose. Well, in actual fact, we're, we're, we're okay on time. And the last part of this uh, podcast is actually giving our number one tip, which you've just given away. So now you're under pressure to come up with uh, your second uh, number one tip for the third part of the podcast. Excellent. Okay, so that's the end of part two of our podcast. The final part is coming straight after this, where all three of us will share our number one hint or tip for new managers. Experts and technical specialists have never been more important or in demand, but that's not reflected in the leadership training they're given. Unlock the business potential of experts with Expertship, HFL's new development program for the individual contributors, technical specialists, and other experts in your organization. If innovation and business agility are important to you, learn more at expertunity.global. Okay, welcome back. And this is going to be my favorite part. Uh, we have our top tips for quickly transitioning into a new leader role. Kirsty, we'll give uh, Alistair a bit more time to think about what his number two tip might be. Uh, what might be your number one? I would say really spend the time to self-reflect and be honest with yourself. So what's you know worked well today or this week and what strengths did you bring to that situation that enabled it to turn out well? And what hasn't gone as you expected or as well as you would have liked? And how might you have contributed to the situation or how might you do think something different in future to have things turn out differently? I know I, for one, have been guilty in the past for managing someone the way I like to be managed and it hasn't worked out well. So being able to reflect on what does this person need that's perhaps different to what I need. Alistair, have you had enough time or would you like me to go next? By all means, go next. Right. (laughs) Okay. All right. Well, I guess um, I've sort of lightly touched on it uh, before is to quote a TV series, uh, you know nothing, uh, Jon Snow, because becoming a new manager is sort of a new world. Because once you accept that fact, well, you probably know more than nothing. Let's, let's be honest. That's a bit of a mellow, dramatic phrase. But once you accept the fact that you have a lifetime of learning in front of you and there is so much to learn, it can be quite freeing, but also makes you realize that okay, how am I going to go about learning this? What am I going to do to put something in practice every day, every week, potentially for a lifetime uh, of learning? And so this idea of of learning how to learn, this continual learning uh, process, whether you're a manager or not, has always been my number one advice for, for anybody in their career is how do you learn on the job? Most people say they are learning on the job, but the vast majority of times they are not until they actually make a decision in their head in terms of, I am going to learn and how am I going to go about doing it? Alistair. Yeah, okay. Well, I'm, I'm significantly ready to impress you now because I have three, three. So let's put them under the group heading of decide what type of a leader you want to be. Have a think very hard about what 
good leadership you've seen in the past and and why that's been a good idea and and what poor leadership you've seen in the past and why you've you know not enjoyed that so my three is first up decide to build capability and delegate brilliant you're on a beating to nothing if you think you can do it all yourself you have to very quickly decide right i want to grow the capability of my team i want to train them and develop them and and be able to delegate parts of my role to them so that when I'm ready to get promoted again, um, I have a successor in place. And if I don't get promoted, I, I can spend time on the golf course because my team is so good at what they're doing. That's a conscious decision to decide to be a capability builder and to you know, really trust your team. Number two would be to decide to be courageous about performance from day one. I mean, we discussed it earlier in the pod, but the research we've done at HFL and Fastlead shows that most team members, their biggest dislike is team members who are get, getting away without pulling the, their weight. And by you being really courageous in dealing with underperformance and making sure that everyone's pulling their weight on the team is a very, very good starting point. And finally, it would be to be a communicator rather than someone who communicates. In other words, don't talk at your team you know, decide that you're going to collaborate, decide you're going to leverage the team's energy and ideas, decide that you're going to be open to things, you know, admit that you don't know all the answers as we discussed before. If I think if you can do those three things, and that final thing means listening more than talking, something that I'm not very good at doing, you know, I think if you do those three things, you're, you're reasonably well set up to get the best out of your team and to enjoy leading the team. Uh, brilliant advice, uh, Alistair, and uh, I'm not too sure. Uh, obviously, our sound engineer knows you quite well because she's laughing her head off at the moment in terms of uh, you saying that listening more than talking. I'm still learning. I'm still learning. <laughs> still learning, yeah. Hence, hence, you're not at the golf course quite yet. All right, to wrap up this podcast and, and thinking about Alistair, um, this tumultuous changes that are happening globally right now, what might be one more piece of advice you could offer that is not only relevant to our brand new managers, but to any experienced manager who's experiencing these changes globally that we're having right now? Yeah, so obviously, we have, a, we have a separate podcast on this that people would be on a file off the website. My advice would be that most of us actually have a job title, even if it's not our formal job title, of team leader. And currently, I think we should be focusing on the first one of those those words rather than the second, i.e. team. You know, we're almost in the role of chief welfare officer, really, of our team, because all sorts of stuff is coming down the line from senior management. Policies are changing all the time. Rules are changing all the time. So I think us making sure that we're getting the team together and that they're all okay and they have an opportunity to discuss the impacts of all of these things. Certainly the last two to three weeks, I've probably, I lead a team, as you know, Darren, and I've probably spent more time communicating with the team, both individually and in group sessions than doing anything else. In fact, I'm not really getting any work done at all. But I think right now, that's what I think my, my team needs from me, just that ability to you know, bring the team together, make sure we're trying to navigate these uh, difficult waters together. So that would be my my piece of advice. And if there's a second piece, it would be make sure I'm looking after me as well, because it's all very well looking after the team. But if we're not in good shape, then that's that's no good for anybody. Yeah, exactly, Alistair. And, um, and uh, I think the team certainly sees you doing a lot of work. And I do hope that you are taking care of your, yourself as well. 
All right. So I guess in summary, I mean, if I were to wrap up this discussion in terms of some themes, I mean, the first one obviously is this idea of practice, practice, practice that we talked about earlier is is that, you know, you may know the theory, you think you may know it, but how do you actually just do it? There's no better school than actually getting it done and doing it. And also just accept the fact that this is an ongoing learning journey. As Kirsty said, it, you know, it never ends for you in terms of being the best leader that you, that you can be. And on top of all of that, especially at this particular period of time, is look after yourself. So that means, you know, make sure you're getting sleep, that you're eating healthy as you can, exercise, although that's quite difficult. But, you know, if I've uh, watched the news uh, this morning and there was a woman who said that she was able to find one barbell or sorry, one dumbbell that she could use to work out with and some other sort of rubbery thing that I'd actually quite know what it's done for Pilates for, but she's finding a way how to exercise in her apartment. Okay, so that's all been very great advice. And so thanks to both Alistair and Kirsty for, uh, for joining us in this conversation. And that brings us to the end of the podcast. So thank you very much to Alistair. Thanks, Darren. And thank you, Kirsty. Thanks, Darren. Thanks for having me. And uh, we'll see you at our next podcast. Thank you for listening to the Fast Leader Podcast. I'm Darren Fox, Chief Research Officer and Principal Consultant at HFL. You can email us at info at fastly.com with any questions, but really, we'd love to hear your ideas about topics for future podcasts. You can also check out the FastLead website, fastly.com, for supporting material from this podcast. Watch out for our future podcasts as we explore each of the 14 FastLead topics in more detail and discuss some of the latest management research, news, and topical issues of the day. And until next time, this has been the FastLeader Podcast. Thank you. Thank you.